0: Well, we're going to continue, uh, this is session three on our talk on the sanctuary. And in our last presentation, we went through the sanctuary and uh, we saw it as a model for prayer, and in the process we were introduced to what was called the daily. And the daily were those activities that took place day after day in Israel uh, that was part of God's plan in bringing Israel to faith to understand the plan of salvation. And what we're going to do is we're going to bring that experience into our everyday life because I'm, I'm a firm believer in being very practical. Our walk with Jesus is, uh, is, is something that is very practical. And what the daily teaches us is how to have victory over the power of sin. Does that topic interest you? How to have victory over the power of sin. And it's done with a walk with Jesus. You know, when we, when, if we're going to look at the, as we look at the sanctuary uh, services, if we're going to understand, this is very important. If we're really going to understand the plan of salvation, there's something that we have to come to grips with, and that is that God is serious about sin. He is deadly serious. It cost the life of his son to save us. There was no other way. If there was another way, he would have taken that way. There was no other way to save us but to sacrifice his son to save you and me. That tells me that he is very serious about his dealings with sin. Because sin destroys. And in Matthew, in, in, in the handout, you should have your handout there. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel there, when talking to Joseph, revealed uh, in, a, in a sentence the mission of Christ. He said, And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Okay? Not in it. This is extremely significant. And there's there's a lot of confusion in the Christian world over this right now, even many within our own ranks. Jesus did not come to save us in our sin. He came to save us from our sin. We have to remember that the angels of heaven sinned and they were kicked and they were they were kicked out of heaven for it. No one is going in that way. Does that make sense? It's vitally important to understand that. And and so this is actually the focus of Christ's mission and the theme of the sanctuary of how God deals with this problem, not only in the world, but more specifically, even within our own lives. And so what the sanctuary reveals in the end is that the Lord will actually be able to finally destroy sin. Can you say amen to that? But the sad thing is that many many will also be lost in that destruction who refused to give it up. And we certainly do not wish to be part of that. And so the daily actually shows us how to have victory. And I can't wait to share this with you. How to have victory over the power of sin. I'd like to begin once more with a word of prayer. I really appreciate the prayer that was sent up. Earlier, that touched my heart. I just want to add one more. If you'll bow your heads with me, please. Father in heaven, I so thank you so much for the prayer that my dear brother sent up to you already, and I want a second echo what he said. Lord, we need your presence. However wonderful or eloquently the presentation may be now, if you're not in it, we wasted our time. We might as well have gone home, taken a nap. Lord, I pray for your presence. I pray you'll sustain me. I, I am fearful, Lord, that I will be in the way. Lord, of what you're trying to do here, please, Lord, may Jesus be seen, heard, and felt. I do pray, have thine own way. Today, at this hour, Lord, we are here because we are hungering. We want a deeper experience with you. We realize within ourselves a lack. We need more. And so I pray, Lord, you have promised that those that hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. And so we are asking for that right now. We thank you because you promised and you said that your word will not return to you void, but it will accomplish the thing for which you sent it. And so based on your word, not on our feelings, not on looking to ourselves, but looking to Jesus, we are trusting that you will provide now that which we so desperately need. And we thank you as we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. I am using a and a method, question and answer, because I, I just feel it's the easiest way to get to get through things and to learn, as well as to teach. So let's take a look at question number one. Let's take a look at the daily today. What is God's will concerning his people? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4 says, For this is the will of God, your what? Your sanctification, that each should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and what? And honor. And so the gospel is about change and transformation. That's what it's about. It's about change. And so what happens when we're born in this world is that we sit upon the throne of our own hearts. We decide what we're going to do, when we're going to do it, how we're going to do it. That's what we decide. We decide um, where we're, the direction, who we're going to marry, uh, where we're going to live, what our occupations. Gonna, these are all the things we decide. But when we ask Jesus into our hearts, we've got to get off that throne. And that calls for something called surrender. We ask Jesus to sit upon the throne of our hearts. And now, Jesus is the one who is allowed to lead us and guide us. And the human heart resists that. Don't resist anymore. Jesus always knows what he's doing. Jesus loves us. He knows the end from the beginning, and he does what's best. The most intelligent thing that a fallen mortal can do is allow Jesus Christ to lead his life. Most intelligent thing. So when we're talking about conversion, when we talk about sanctification, we're talking about surrendering the control of our lives over to Jesus. Now, mind you, Jesus doesn't control us in the way that Satan would if he was given half a chance satan's can all all jesus can do is guide us as we allow him to he is a gentleman he will never force us against our will can you love someone like that absolutely and so what god is after is restoring in us what was lost in the garden when humanity fell the image of god fell was lost you see god god is love Okay, And so what we lost was that. What we have now is selfishness and self. That's what's in control. And by the way, that never leads to happiness. It never does. You know, it's funny. Those of us who have some of these gray things are the ones that are nodding because we've been there. We've done that. We've seen them. You have some. Boy, if you can learn these before you have these gray things, your life will be a whole lot more pleasant. Uh, if, you, if we learn this early. You know, I want to share with you right here and now a pet peeve that I have, if you will indulge me, if you will just forgive me for this pet peeve. There are those that say that Jesus accepts me just the way I am, and I respectfully disagree. He does not. Jesus receives us just the way we are, but loves us too much to leave us that way. Think of Think of the gospel as a shower, How many ever ever got cleaned up before you went into the shower? Right? That's the job of the shower. The shower receives you just the way you are. But its job is to cleanse you. And that's what the gospel is about. It's a cleansing transformation process. Look at the note here right below number one. Sanctification is the total surrender of the will to the will of God. It is something God does in the repentant sinner who cooperates with God. Bible sanctification is motivated and empowered all the way by the Holy Spirit and directed to the honor and the glory of God. Without his power working in us, we are totally helpless helpless and hopeless. Jesus said, for without me, you can do how much? It is God who transforms the believer in all aspects of his daily existence, in his thinking and acting, desires, in short, completely. This effect is seen in the home, the work, the school, the church, and in the community. And let me dare say here that if it isn't happening in the home, it isn't happening. It is very easy to fool the people at church. And it's very easy to fool the people at work, but nobody at home gets fooled. Are you with me? The acid test is home. Do you realize what that's saying? The gospel is about healing. The gospel is about wholeness. Isn't that beautiful? God is wanting to restore us, and it begins in our homes. So beautiful. Well, let's take a look, and let's unpack this. Number two. In order to enjoy sanctification, what attitude must one have toward Jesus and sin? 1 John 3.3 says, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just what? As he is pure. The goal is Christ. It's to be like Jesus. That is the goal. And, and, And failure is not an option. Are you with me? The goal is Christ, to reflect Jesus. Let's look at uh, Exodus 33, 13. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, this is the prayer, if somebody wants this, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And this reflects a teachable spirit. Brothers and sisters, we have to come to the, to grips that nothing short of reflecting Jesus is acceptable. And when we ask God to reveal in our lives that which does not perfectly represent him, God will begin the work of showing us. And let me add right here, it is not a fun experience, but it's so worth it. When I began to understand the work of the sanctuary, I began to realize that God wants to transform us. And so I remember the day that I began praying, Lord um, please show me where I'm not reflecting you. Now, let me tell you something about the carnal heart. The carnal heart would like this scenario. After we pray that prayer, Lord, show me my sin, and all of a sudden, we would love to hear a... And when we open the door, there's a beautiful angel with a clipboard. George. About this habit of yours, we've got to change that, my friend. Also, we need to start working on this. See, we would be really good with that, but God doesn't send angels. When we ask God to show us the defects in our lives, you know who he's going to use? Your spouse. He's going, to, he's, he's, he's going to tell you through your wife. He's going to tell you through your, your husband. He's going to tell you through your children. And you know what? We can take it from an angel. It's only a humble heart that really wants it that's going to get it. And I, when I prayed that prayer, it was a Sunday afternoon, and I was watching TV. My wife was in the kitchen doing something. I can hear her banging around in there. And uh, it was a peaceful afternoon. We, had, we were newly married. I guess is our second or third year of marriage. Second year of marriage. We didn't have kids. And all of a sudden, my wife came from around the corner, and she got right in my face and pointed her finger right in my face like that. And uh, she said, "George, I need you to be the priest of this house." And then she stomped off down the hallway and disappeared into the bedroom. And I was like blindsided. I, I was just wa- I was watching the TV, and there had been no argument. I hadn't I hadn't done anything wrong. And all of a sudden, there's fingers in my face, and. And so, uh, totally ruined what I was watching. I I just couldn't even concentrate anymore, and I didn't know what to do. You know, she was gone now, and and so uh, I remember I was talking to God. I said, "What was that? I wasn't doing anything." And so I got my Bible because I figured I needed my Bible for this. And and I went for a walk, and I started talking to the Lord. And I was actually what I was doing is I was whining. I said, "Lord, I didn't do anything. You saw that I didn't start that. I didn't do anything." And uh, I got to thinking about what she said about being the priest uh, of the home. And I had heard that uh, expression, but I really didn't know what that meant. If I, as I started to squeeze it, I had to honestly say, you know, I, I really don't know what that means. What does it mean to be the priest of your home? I hear it a lot on the radio. I hear people say it. But what does that mean? I mean, obviously, we're not sacrificing anything anymore. So what does that mean? And and so I... Um, i began I remember looking at my Bible. It was a sunny day there in North carolina and uh, I remember looking at my Bible and i and I thought to myself, Is it possible that this book will teach me how to be a husband and a father I had never I was a new Christian I had just come back to the Lord, and I thought, Will this book teach me how to be a husband? The answer is yes, it does, and so I started reading. My Bible and looking at texts, I got my concordance and anything and everything that had to do with husband or father, I started reading it, and then I found a very important text. Uh, if you'll open your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and this is where the story starts getting really bad. Okay, and so I went to Ephesians chapter 5, as I was doing my research, and I found this text. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 22. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And, I, of course, I stopped there, and I thought, Wow, there's the problem. <laughs> if, if my wife would only do what I would tell her to do, everything would be great. Isn't that pathetic? This is like, this is like on 3ABN, the world's going to know this. This is terrible. But that's what I was thinking. I thought... There's the problem. My wife would only, and then all of a sudden I started to like this priest of the home thing. And uh, no, it gets worse. It gets worse. So now, armed with the word, I went looking for my wife. And I said, honey, remember this priest of the home thing and the finger and all that? Um, Look at this text. And so I read it to her. And I said, see, if, if you, the problem is that you're not doing what I ask, and that if, then everything would work out great. Well, now imagine my surprise when my wife now will not cooperate with me on anything. In fact, she's not even talking to me now. So to me, this is like full-blown you know, rebellion, because the word says it right there. And, and so I, I remember thinking, well, who can I talk to? And there was a very godly man in my church. Mind you, this doesn't happen last week. I was in my 20s, okay? So <laughs> I see you're staring at me. But anyway, and... Um, and so there was a very godly man in my church, <laughs> and his name was Daniel McClellan, and I learned about Jesus at his feet, and so I thought, ah, oh, Daniel will feel sorry for me. I'll call Dan. So I called Dan, and, uh, and I said, Dan, um, I need to talk to you. My wife's in full, full, full-blown rebellion. We need to talk. Okay. So we go to the church, and we sit down, and, uh, and, and, and I share with him my very sad story. And I expected him, you know, maybe to cry, put his arm around me, and... But he didn't, Uh, he just looked at me and he said, George, I don't think your wife is the one with the problem. He said, George, let me ask you a question. Do you think you know your wife pretty well? I said, yeah, I think I do. He said, okay. Do you know her well enough to say that if your wife was married to Jesus, that she would submit to him? And so I got to thinking about that. I thought about Jesus. I thought about my wife. And I said, yeah, I think you're right. I think, yeah, I'd have to say yes. If she was married to Jesus, she would submit to him. And he said to me, George, that's your problem. You're not like Jesus. He said, George, the truth of the matter is when your wife stuck her finger in your your face, more than likely she didn't even know what she was doing. It was the Holy Spirit that was prompting her. George, let's look at the rest of the text. And so then he led me down here to verse, uh, he continued on, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. 25 is the key. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And it was at that moment, for the first time in my life, that I realized that being like Christ wasn't some wish upon a star thing. It wasn't some pie in the sky, let's see how close we can get thing. It is actually God's goal for my life and yours is to reflect Jesus. And Dan, he said to me, George, Jesus is the model husband. He had members of his family that were rebellious. How did he deal with them? And he pointed out Judas, and it's really amazing that When you look at how Jesus dealt with Judas, it was with incredible love, even though he knew that Judas was going to rebel and cause him to be executed. Jesus is the model that you and I are called to reflect. So it was at that moment that I realized that being like Christ isn't some pie in the sky, wish upon a star, let's see how close we can get. It is the goal. So the big question is, pastor, how do you get there from here? Let's take a look. Number three, how is this work accomplished? John 15, 4 through 6. Everywhere the word abide appears, I would like the congregation to say it. Okay, there's the first word. Oh, before you go any further, hang carefully on what Christ is saying. The key is here. Okay, here we go. Okay, ready? Abide in me and I in you. Watch this. As the branch cannot abide in me. He is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them up and throw them into the fire and they are what? They are burned. When we're talking about the fruit, what what fruit are we talking about? We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness and what? Self-control. What Jesus is saying here is that fruit is not the fruit of the branch. It's not your fruit. It's not my fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's something he does in us. But how? By abiding. And you know, I am not a... um, I I grew up in the city. I'm a city slicker, so you have to forgive me here for my drawing. But Jesus used the illustration of a vine and, uh, and the fruit of the vine, right? And so what he says is that the branch cannot produce fruit unless it's connected to the vine. Is that right? So if we came, if I came up to a, a vine, uh, you know, there's actually a lot of, there's a lot of vineyards out here, huh? so this is a great illustration. So, and I, and I held the microphone up to a bunch of grapes. This is not what you would hear. Grape. 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 Okay, you wouldn't hear that. Branches don't produce grapes by trying, they produce grapes by being connected to the vine. What produces fruit comes from the vine into the branch, and that's what produces it. Is this ringing? The key is our connection with Christ. Well, okay, pastor, that makes sense. But how do we accomplish that? How do we get connected? Well, it's found in the daily. Number four, through what medium is the abiding change wrought? It's through the daily experience. My work in cooperating with Jesus is to meet with him each day and submit to his work and my leading. So each day I come to Jesus, who is the gate, who said, come unto me, I'll either burn heavy laden and I'll give you rest. We come to Jesus. Then we make sure there's no sin between my soul and my Savior. Each day I commit my life to Christ. This outer experience is what we call justification. Coming to Christ, asking forgiveness of our sins, and committing our lives to Him is justification. Jesus gives us victory over the record of sin in our past. He gives us a new past. He gives us the life of Christ as our past. Can you say amen to that? He gives us a new past. That's justification. Jesus now treats us just if I have never sinned. But in here, what we learn is sanctification. So we come to Christ every day. Here, we... we uh, ask Jesus to forgive us our sins. We recommit our life to him. Every day we come to Jesus asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We get into the word where the Holy Spirit's power comes into the life and we learn how to follow Jesus. And every day we come to the Lord and we pray, we communicate to him, with him. This is called the daily experience. That's how we get connected with Jesus and that is how we remain connected with Jesus. Out here we learn how to become a Christian. Here we learn how to remain one. Here, God gives us victory over the past. Here, he gives us victory over the power of sin in our daily lives. Justification, sanctification. We'll talk about glorification later on. But that is how God does it. And the reason so is because God is cooperating with the natural law. If you open your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 3. All right? Now, um, which law is this? Ready? That's gravity. Okay. I don't believe in gravity. That's something somebody made up. Didn't really matter, did it? Whether I believe it or not, gravity still works. Isn't that right? So what I'm going to share with you is a natural law that, that works in the brain. And it's found 2 Corinthians, in other words, whether you we believe it or not, it's working. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being what? Transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What is the glory of the Lord? His character of what? Of love. As we behold Christ, there is a law in the mind that we become like Christ. My young friends, I want you to hear me very carefully. This is the reason why Satan works so hard in the media business. You see, the, the world right now is on a race for character development, either like Jesus or like Satan. And you and I are deciding who wins. And so as we listen to the music that emphasizes the principles of heaven, and it's not just the words It's the music as well. Anybody in the movie industry or in marketing will laugh if you tell them that the music doesn't impact you. They will laugh you right out of the room. The children of darkness are wiser than the children of the light. They most certainly do know the difference. You better believe it. And so what happens is that whatever I concentrate on, I become like. I choose. So the music, the movies, please understand that God never called evil entertainment. He never viewed it as entertaining. It's revolting to him. It's revolting because it destroys the people he loves. He knows what's happening. We need to be aware. And so what's happening is there's the law of the mind. And so as we spend time with Jesus, as we spend time focusing on the life of Christ, imperceptibly, our lives are being transformed to be that like Jesus. And so, by the way, Solomon picked this up and he said it a, different, a little differently if you want to write this notation down. In Proverbs 23, 7, he said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I want to share with you an illustration. I don't know if it's possible to dim these lights. I, I think the, the, the camera people will be frightened by that experience. But I'm going to ask you if you can come up here. We're going to do the best we can with what we've got to work with here. And this illustration really helped me to, to see how things work, all right? I want you to pretend that this room is completely dark. And uh, Seth, if you will shine that flashlight right here in my chest. Ooh, yeah, that's good. It works. All right, this is me. I-, I-, I am filled with darkness, all right? And so you are my friends, and you say, George, you know, there's there's a lot of darkness in your life, and that needs to be taken out if you have any hope of being saved. Oh, so then I say, okay, then I better get after getting rid of the darkness, right? I know, I I must not be trying hard enough. That's it. You know, maybe salvation is for other people. Maybe maybe it wasn't meant for me. Does this sound familiar? It works for others. It just doesn't work for me. But I run into my friend Seth, and uh, I said, Seth, I I can't get the darkness out of my cup. What, What do I do? And so Seth says, turn your cup to the light. Oh, you know, there's some light in there now. Amazing, but you know, there's still some shadows. What do I do to get rid of those shadows? You see, my job is to respond to Jesus, to draw closer. It is Jesus' job to get rid of the darkness. I can't do it. And so as I turn to Christ and ask him into my life, as I begin to read the Bible, and as I make the choice to submit my life, as I submit, I am drawn closer and closer and closer until Christ is formed within. Christ in you, the hope of glory. My job is to deal with the distance issue. His job is to deal with the darkness. Thank you. Does that make sense? All right, by beholding, we become changed. And you know, what's so amazing as I, as I look at this is that I come to realize that the things I used to love, I now hate. That's something only God can do. Let's keep going. Um, let's look at the note right below there, below 5. It says, this is the daily holy place experience. It was for Israel of old and it is for us today. While with penitent, and humble trust, we meditate upon Jesus through his word, whom our sins have pierced and our sorrows have burdened, we may learn to walk in his footsteps by beholding him we become changed into his divine likeness and when this work is produced in us we will claim no righteousness of our own but will exalt jesus while hanging our helpless souls upon his merits and you know the thing that's amazing is that i used to always be a morning person you know one of those annoying people if you were a roommate in college that the wee hours of the morning, that were up and making all this noise, and to wake you up because they didn't want to be alone; they wanted to talk to somebody, and um, <clears throat> that was me. And I was a morning person until I made the decision to have morning devotions. And then the devil did everything he could to glue me to that bed. You see, you know, the devil really doesn't care that you and I go to church once a week on Sabbath. He can care less. That doesn't frighten him at all. We cannot forget, brothers and sisters, that the people that crucified Christ went to church on Saturday. All right? They were very conscious of the health message. And they returned tithe every Sabbath. And they crucified the Lord of glory. Because they spent no time with him. They didn't know who he was. Could that happen to us? Read carefully the warnings to our denomination. Yes, most assuredly. We have to be careful that we don't walk in the path of the people of God at the time of Jesus. And so, the key is to spend that time. The devotional life, the devotional life is where the battle begins. Remember that just showing up to church doesn't make me a Christian any more than me standing in my garage makes me a car. (laughs) What makes me a Christian is Christ. And time with him. Take a look at number five. Where does the power to obey come from? Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will, that's the desire, and to do, that's to perform his good pleasure. And so as we spend time with Jesus, he begins to do something in us. When I first, you all don't know what I was like before I knew Jesus. But when I first gave my life to Christ, I had a foul mouth. I gave my youth, sadly, to the Prince of Darkness how I wish I had given it to Jesus instead. But I had a terrible mouth. And when, when I mean, I'm telling you, if you took away my four-letter words, I, it would have been a, I would have a hard time communicating. It was just awful. And I was reading my Bible one day, and in there it said uh, that, let no corrupt communication escape your lips. Whoa. So those who follow Jesus aren't to use foul language. By the way, that's what Peter did to throw off suspicion that he was a follower of Christ. And so when I realized that, I said, oh, Lord, no worries. If you don't want me to cuss anymore, I will not. And so it just so happens it was near New Year's, and that was my New Year's resolution for two years. I kept, I just kept right on curse. I didn't want to curse anymore. But I kept right on cursing. And if you scared me, I cursed. If if I dropped something on my foot and it hurt, I cursed. If I hit my finger, it wasn't even something premeditated. It was just so ingrained in me. And then about the second, uh, about a year and a half into this miserable experience, I finally went to the Lord one day and I said, Lord, and by the way, this whole time I'm continuing my devotional life. And I said to the Lord, Lord, there is no argument between you and me. I don't want to curse anymore. You don't want me to curse anymore but i can't stop so lord i'm giving you permission i tried i failed whatever you need to do to make it happen you do it i was so i was i was so discouraged that was my prayer and a few months later a friend of mine called he's the only person i knew who had a worse mouth than i did and and when we were talking usually the metaphors would fly it was really colorful and uh, so we're on the phone and the whole time, everything he was saying was so painful to me. I was like, oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Hey, really? That's how it happened, huh? Oh, no kidding. Okay. Well, listen. I got to go. See a Bye. And when I hung up, I thought, oh, that was terrible. And then it dawned on me I hadn't cursed. Then I got to thinking, I couldn't remember the last time I did. And you know, now you can scare me. You're safe. Uh, I can hit my finger with a hammer. Brothers and sisters, it wasn't anything I did. It was what Jesus did in me as I continue to draw closer to the light and respond to him. Does this make sense? It is God who wants to work in us, both to will and to do, of his good pleasure. Let's keep going here. Number five, what does God do? How does God do this? Ezekiel 36, uh, 26 and 27. I, watch this, watch the eyes here. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you art of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. And then again in Hebrews 10, 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Isn't that beautiful? It's what God has promised to do. If one, we will believe him, and two, we will allow Him. You know, it was very interesting. I was, um, oh, I'm looking at my time. I was, at a, I, was, I was in Kansas, Nebraska, pastoring out there on my way to a camp meeting, and there was a, a, a sales, uh, what do you call it, a used car place, uh, we were looking at, at getting a motor home and, and, you know, the only thing we can afford was an old dilapidated one. There was one on this on this lot. And so I thought I'd look, go check it out on my way to camp meeting. And so we stopped and I looked around. I didn't see the, the sales agent because I just want to look at it real quick and then escape, you know, before they find me. And so I went in. I'm looking at the and The guy comes out and I thought, ah, oh, I got caught. And so he's talking to me and I'm trying to, I, you know, I'm one of these passive aggressive types to try to find a way to get out so I can get back in my car. And, uh, and the, and the conversation turns religious. And I thought, well, maybe it's a divine appointment. So I start talking to the fella. And as we began to share back and forth, he suddenly turns to me and he says, You're a Seventh-day Adventist, aren't you? And I thought, Hey, you know, at least he, he was able to figure that out. That's good. And, uh, turns out he was, uh, he was, I won't say what denomination he was from. Doesn't matter. And I said, Yes, I am. And he said, You know, I would be a Seventh-day Adventist if it wasn't for the law. And I said, Well, what's wrong with the law? And he says, It can't be kept. And so I just stood there and I looked at him and I looked at my watch because I didn't have a lot of time. And I said, Lord, I don't have time for this. Will you just give me something quick? So I looked at him and I said, sir, this is the only person I've ever done this with. You know, I want to say something. I am thankful for the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin. There's a lot of stuff in my past that I am ashamed of. I am ashamed of. I don't like talking about it. I don't bring it up. I leave it back there. And, um, But this is the one guy, I brought it up, and I said, I used to be bound by this and this. I used to be involved in this, and And I went through the whole litany. Then I looked at him, and I said, none of that is part of my life anymore. In fact, I hate it. I don't white-knuckle it. I don't miss it. It is gone from my life completely. Dear brother, explain to me why. And he just stood there silent, and I said, I'll tell you why. Because my God set me free. Have a nice day. It is God who gives us the power to obey. God is the one who gives us the power to obey. I want you to look at this quote. I want you to meditate on it, my brothers and sisters, very carefully. It comes from Desire of Ages, page 668. Are you ready? It says this, all true obedience comes from the heart. This is the most incredible quote in all the spirit of prophecy. It was heart work with Christ. If we, What's the next word? Consent, that means we give him permission. If we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will, that when obeying him, we will be but carrying out our own impulses. We wouldn't even be aware we're doing it. Keep going. The will, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight in doing his service when we know God. As it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of continual obedience. Through an appreciation of his character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful. It's something God does in the life, in our hearts. So now the things I used to love, I now hate. And the things I used to hate, I now love. Why? Because now, friends, you know what this tells us? That if I'm still struggling with sin, my problem is that I don't know God well enough. I got to get closer in my walk with him. Does this make sense? Praise the Lord. Number seven, when united to Jesus, what is our duty? Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth, On the right hand of God, set your affection on those things, not on things of the earth. And so we got to be careful of what's absorbing our attention. We're living in a day and age where the latest gizmo is getting everybody's attention. Be careful, because we could very well discover in the end that we entertained ourselves to death. We have to be careful. And the same thing about daydreaming, even about relationships. Trust Jesus to guide your future. Let Him select for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him. He will direct your path. He's promised, and His promises never fail. Let Him lead. Focus on Him. Matthew 6.33 But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, what? Will be added unto you. The needs will be met. Focus on Jesus. By beholding, we become changed. Number eight. Sadly, Paul warned that in the last days, much of Christianity would become like the world. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But knowing this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Let me stop right there. Pastor Balte. weren't the bad guys always that way? Yes, they were. We're not talking about the bad guys. Keep reading. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. From such, people turn away. This is describing the church in the last days. In the very end, what Paul was telling us, you will not be able to tell the difference between those who serve God and those who serve him not. Those who claim to serve him, I should say. And those who serve him not. They have a form, but they deny the power. The power of the gospel is to change the life. Does that make sense? Worldlings are not idiots. When they see that we're just like them and we come to them telling them they need something else, they're going to look at us and say, you are no different from me. You have nothing that I need. You know what that means? That means if we're going to win the world, we're not going to win them by being like them. We're going to win them by being different. We have to provide something different. The world the world knows it needs something. But they're going to look for somebody that's different from them, not who's just like them. That has never converted the world, but it has always converted the church to the world. Not by being like them, but by being different from them. All right, let's take a look here at number nine. As Jesus works to transform me, what is to be my response? Luke twenty two forty two, 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but what? But thine. So as you draw closer to Jesus, Jesus is going to begin revealing problem areas in your life. Don't argue. Don't argue. Don't justify, because then God can't touch it. He has no right to touch it. The only way he can touch it is if I say, Lord, it's true. Will you please help me? What does Jesus always say? Absolutely. I will help you. By the way, how many of you notice that as you draw closer to Jesus, you actually look worse? Do you know if you look really good in your eyes, you're in big trouble because that's a description of Laodicea. Rich, increasing goods, in need of nothing. That's a lost condition. But when we look to Christ, we will always be aware of our unworthiness and our continual need of him. Does that make sense? Always. But the focus, don't focus on yourself and your failures. Focus on Jesus and his promises. Let's take a look here at number 10. How is the state of things brought about? Romans 12.2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? transform by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our minds are renewed by studying the word of God. That's where the transforming power is found. Hebrews eleven twenty nine. take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. And you know, I'll tell you something. There are times, there have been times in my walk with Christ that things that Christ was offering did not look attractive. Anybody else been there? But what's the alternative? I remember when Jesus looked at Peter and his disciples when all of his followers were leaving and he said to them, are you going to leave me too? Remember Peter's answer? Where would we go? Friends, I've already tried a life of sin. It isn't worth it. What Jesus offers is so much better. So there are times that I do struggle, but I am honest with God and I say, Lord, I am having a real hard time with this. But then I end by saying, will you please help me? Help me. Lord, the answer is always yes. Just keep meeting with him daily. Daily. And one thing that's so critical, what the devil tries to do is to get our eyes off of Jesus and onto our sin problem. Oh, I'm gonna quit this sin. I'm gonna I'm gonna war against the sin. I'm gonna quit this sin. Have you ever tried that when you woke up in the middle of the night? Or I'm gonna get back to sleep. I'm just gonna concentrate on sleeping. I'm going back to sleep. What happens? You're wide awake. And by focusing on the sin, you entrench it in the life. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus and his life. Where are we now? Number 11. In all things, what should be our mindset? Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we get that through the, the, the mind of Christ by studying the word of Christ. Getting his word in our mind we get the mind of Christ. Does that make sense? The power of transformation is found in his word. We learn about Jesus and we begin to realize what in our lives are not pleasing to him and we change that, number 12, through his power. Number two, 12. To what extent must our deeds be done in reference to God's glory? 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. Wherefore, therefore, excuse me, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it what? Do you realize what this is saying? That even the food I eat affects my character. About two people said amen. Listen, you eat food that that irritates your system, and you're going to be irritated. And it's going to come out. So what I eat and what I don't eat is not based on what I want, but what reflects. Does that make sense? And it becomes a very serious issue. God does that approve. You know what that includes? We, alcohol, we can all say amen to that my Adventist friends that includes caffeine no games because see this, the battle between Christ and Satan is being waged right here we need this as clear as crystal and the devil knows that so he does everything he possibly can to mess this up it's not about what I like or what I don't like it's what's getting in the way between me and Jesus Christ and so that, that becomes expendable at that point. Please, if those of you who knew me, anything that crawled across my plate, I ate. What changed my diet is when I began to realize it is interfering with my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not that I didn't like, you know, Flavian Noon anymore. That's not true. But of course, now I don't. The thought of eating that, I think, would make me throw up. You know, eating the, the, the dead carcass of an animal right now sounds really gross to me. It didn't then. I was like, bring him on. But that's changed. Jesus has changed that in my life. But let's keep going. Anything that interferes, and I'm just being very honest with you, it's certainly not condemning. You know, I'll tell you, I've done just about it all, sad to say. So I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm just sharing what Jesus has done in my life. He changed me. He can change you. They're in a harder case here. I'm sure of it. The Lord can change us all. Take a look at number 13. how much must we give up to become true disciples of Jesus? Luke 14, 33. So likewise, whatsoever you be of, he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And so the only things that Jesus asked me to give up is anything that will destroy me. Isn't that nice? We argue because we don't see it. But if we come to trust Jesus, we ask him, Lord, I'm really having a hard time with this. Will you please Help me and keep going to him every day and keep asking for that help. Don't give up. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? Remember how he was very sincere and he wanted a closer walk with God, but he recognized something was missing in his life? Ever been there? And so he goes to the Lord, ah, here was an investigation. By the way, there it is in a nutshell, Lord, what lack I yet? He was asking Christ to, to investigate his life right there. Okay, Daniel 2.28 tells us that Jesus is the revealer of secrets. So he revealed to him right then and there what was the idol of his life, and it was his money. That's what it was. He loved his money more than God. So he said, oh, that's too bad. I can't give it up, and he walked away, and and he was lost. But what if he had said this instead? What if he had turned to Christ and he said, what if he would have said, Lord, what you said is true. I do love my money more than you. And I don't want to give it up. Will you please help me? Please help me. Do whatever it takes. Do you think Jesus would have helped it? You bet. Number 14. If we thus follow Jesus, how will Satan respond? John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they had persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they had kept my saying, they will also keep yours. And so the devil really harasses us. And one of the biggest ways is through peer pressure. But just understand that the peer pressure is not coming from your friend. It's from another source. The devil is using that person, dear child of God. Stay focused on Jesus. Be loyal to him. Be more concerned about what Jesus thinks than what your friends think. Amen? Number 15. Will the devil allow God to do this wonderful work in our lives unopposed? Revelation 13, 6. Then he opened his mouth to blaspheme against God, to blaspheme his what? His tabernacle and those that what? That dwell in heaven. Satan hates this because it reveals how God separates us from sin. It's with a walk with Jesus, the power of God to help us overcome anything that has us bound. Satan does not want us to see this, so he hates the sanctuary. So what he did is he set up his own called the Catholic Church. It has its own high priest, its own priesthood, and it has its own atonement. And it got the world, the whole Christian world, focused down here, and no one is looking up there. No one is. But guess what? Revelation 10, God raises up a movement to get the Christian world to look higher. That's us. That's us. Let's take a look. Number 16. When when Christians allow Jesus to finish the work in them, what will be the result? Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom, shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. It's not just giving the message, brothers and sisters. It's living it. That's what gives power. The, The world is dying for a demonstration. And when the demonstration is given, we go home. They're waiting for a demonstration. By the way, If I can live a comfortable life knowing that my neighbors and people around the world are being lost, that's the evidence I need Jesus in my heart. When we gave our lives to Christ, at that moment, we were commissioned missionaries. And so as we come to know Jesus, Romans 5.5 says that that is the Holy Spirit that pours his love into our hearts. I can't make myself love something. Can you? But God has promised to put that love into our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray every day that the Lord gives me burden on my heart for souls around me and opportunities to share amen and of course that begins in our home number 17 in this struggle who is more powerful the devil or Jesus yeah <laughs> I didn't wait for me to read it did you John 16:33 these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation I'm so glad that God is up front with us and per- you know, he doesn't play games. Hey, it's, it's going to be tough out there. But then he finishes by saying, but be a good cheer. I've overcome the world. You're not going to face anything that I haven't already faced and won. When you go out there, you're facing a defeated foe. Amen. John 4, 4 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he, is in, than he that is in the world. Isn't that true? In that world, I remember one day there was a, a girl who was uh, dating a a young man whose mother was a witch. And uh, I I still never got to the bottom of the story, but the girl became possessed. And I was called into the situation uh, to try to set the girl free. Of course, I can't. God can't. But, you know, it's a little unnerving coming into the room with somebody that's possessed by the devil. And... um, and as I, was, as I was on my way there, first thing I did was make sure that everything was right between my soul and my Savior, right? And as I was on my way there, this is the text that kept going through my mind. Greater is he that is in you. There was nothing to fear. And I watched the Lord set her free. Number 18, one of my favorite quotes. Therefore, how confident can I be that Jesus will be successful in my life? Now, I used a a paraphrase. Please forgive me. (laughs) Wymels New Testament, but I just love the way they said it. Watch. For of this I am confident that he who began a good work within you will go on to perfect it in preparation for the day of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that, friends? Do you believe that God can finish the work? The biggest problem that we have is, number one, we really don't believe we're as bad as we think we are. We are. And as we draw closer to Jesus, we're going to become painfully aware of that. But then we got to remember the second thing, that God is well able to set you and me free. We have to believe and we got to come to him every day. The daily experience teaches us that as we come to Christ, ask for forgiveness, making sure there's nothing between our soul and our Savior, giving our lives to him, recommitting it every day, asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, reading his words so that what we're reading becomes part of us and we choose to respond to God's promptings by yielding our lives to him and then going and praying to our Savior and interceding for others. That is the daily experience that draws us into the very presence of Christ and keeps us there. And there we are safe. Now, in our next presentation, we're going to talk about the good news of the judgment. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I am so thankful for what you have taught us here. You have taught us, Lord, that the key to victory is an abiding relationship with you. It's not about me producing the fruits of the Spirit. It's about connecting, focusing, and responding to you. That's another word for obedience. That whatever you command, Lord, you give the power to perform. That as we choose to yield and to surrender to your leading, in our lives, that gives you the right to work in our lives and to transform us. You have promised to finish the work you've begun in us. If we will focus on you, respond to you, and let you have your way in leading us. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. We know, Lord, that you have much more yet to show us. And we thank you, but help us, Lord, to remember always that we are to look to you, and by beholding we become changed.